when we read scripture, there are times that we need to be particularly uh, conscious of the fact that it's written at a historical time. It's written in the past. And so the events that they talk about are events that happened in the past. And it's important that we know what's happening. Here we see that David, who was the king of Israel, was handing over to his son Solomon. And David was quite old. So when it says that David assembled the people, and then in verse 2, then King David rose to his feet. This was quite a thing because you have a, an old king now rising to his feet and speaking to the people and to his son Solomon about building the temple of the Lord. Every, every Christian wants to be involved in building. Every Christian wants to play a part in working for the Lord, building the temple of the Lord, establishing the kingdom in this world. The Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every Christian wants to, as they say that prayer, wants to be a part of building the temple. And uh, today we are uh, no different from other days that the church has faced. And so often the question goes out, how is it that we're to build God's temple? How are we to build the church? And there are lots of books about it. There are uh, books that emphasise a, a management structure and coming to it from a management point of view. There are other books that come to it from a, a, a sort of psychological point of view. And then there are books from a sociological point of view. But then the book that we look at is the book that comes from a biblical point of view. And here in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, we see how we are to build God's temple. And there are three things to be aware of in building God's temple. First of all, we need the plan of God. Secondly, we need the uh, promise of God. And thirdly, we need the people of God. The plan of God, the promise of God, and the people of God. The plan of God is from verse 1 all the way through to verse 19. It's the, the plan of God. And in verse 19, David says, All this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. God had told David that he wouldn't build the temple, but his son would, and he gave him the plans, the blueprints on how to build the temple. You see, God's plans have got two parts. There are two types of plans of God. They're both from God. The first are the, the secret plans of God, and the second are the revealed plans of God. Uh, we have the secret plans of God from verse 2 to verse 10. Uh, David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to do a specific work for God. And he was certain that he was going to do it. He had a desire to do it. He had the position to do it. And he, he asked uh, the prophet, should he do it? And the prophet went away or went to him and said, yes, do everything that's in your heart. And as he was going away, God spoke to the prophet and sent him back, telling 
him to tell David that he would not build the temple because he was a man of war, a man of blood. But there would be another one, and another one would build the temple. But that David was in God's house, and God was building his house, and he had made David part of that house. So we have the secret plan of God. Here is David telling the people that he has come to know the secret plan of God in its workings in his life. We don't know the secret plan of God in advance. We know the secret plan of God when we look backwards and we can see, well, I didn't know what was going to happen in that time of my life. I had no idea what was going to become of me and yet now when I look back, I can see that God had it in control and God had a plan for me and God's plan was worked out and, and here I am today. Every one of us can say that, that the secret plan of God has brought us to where we are here today. There were times in the past when we could have gone this way or that way. We could have gone to a place of destruction and of pain and yet God, God who is faithful, and God, who is great, ensured that he kept us. What kind of love is this? There is a secret plan of God. And here David explains it to the people. And when he looks at the secret plan of God, how God stopped him doing certain things, he doesn't get bitter or upset. He focuses on various things. And that's what we're to do. When we look at the secret plan of God and we don't know what the future holds, but we know God, then we're to do the same. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, however, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. We're to hold, we're to look to God's great salvation, God's choice, God's election. When all things seem dark, when all things seem uncertain, when the way ahead isn't clear, when God says no, then we are to look again to the rock from whence we have come. We're to look to our God who is our saviour. We're not to look at ourselves. We're not to look at our abilities or what we've done or what we want to do. We're to look to him. You see, it's, it's so easy for us to try and, and be God and to want to get into the secret plan and say, this is what I'm going to do now, this is what I'm going to do next week, this is what I'm going to do next year, and plan our lives. And then God comes in. And where are we then? When our plans have been removed, God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If others should hold the key. Now, we're to be wise. We're to look to the God of our, our salvation. They were the, the disciples, the apostles, sent out by Jesus. And they cast out demons. 
They, they dealt with, with sicknesses. They did all kinds of amazing things. And they came back to Jesus and they were full. They were full of it. They were so excited. They were so good. They were so happy with what they'd done. And they told him. And Jesus stopped them and he said, No, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Because there was one, one of those who had gone whose name wasn't written in heaven. That's our focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're to be aware of the plan of God, which is secret. There is a secret plan. Sometimes God builds. Sometimes God destroys. Sometimes God expands. Sometimes God contracts. God's plan is perfect. And he knows what he is doing. So often I, I hear Christians say, God wants this, God wants that. And I wonder, is that in the secret plan of God? The secret things believe, belong to God. And they're secret. They don't belong to us. But the things that he has revealed are for us and for our children that we may do them. And then David comes out and he gives the revealed plan of God. The revealed plan of God. We find that on there from verse uh, 11 to 19. Uh, here we have, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule. And then we have a lot of detail. A lot of detail that God has given to David. And David has written it down. It's, it's clear and it's obvious, and David knows it, and he shares it with people. You see, the, the revealed plan of God is detailed. The revealed plan of God is practical. The revealed plan of God is for us and for our children that we may do it. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And here David speaks to his child, Solomon, and to his children, the people of Israel, telling them what is to be done. When we want to build God's kingdom, when we want to do things for God and develop even ourselves, it is good for us to look to the right plan, not to meddle with God's plans. They're God's, they're secret. The counsels of God are secret and are with him. But we are to look at the things that he has revealed. And those are the things we are to hold to. Not the secret, but the revealed. So first of all, to build a temple, we need plans. And they're God's plans. Secondly, we need promises. And we can see that in, in verse 20. And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. God has promised to be with his people. I will be with them. 
That, that is the promise, isn't it? When, when Jesus is about to leave and he gives the commission at the end of Matthew's gospel and he tells them to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them whatsoever I have taught you. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's the promise that God gives us. When we're building, when we're growing, when we're living as Christian, when we're seeking to do his will, his revealed plan, he is with us. He is with all those who trust and obey. He is with us and he keeps us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. When the difficulties come along, God is there. When the going is easy and gentle, he is with us. When it is hard and painful, he is by our side. He will never leave us, nor forsake. Throughout scripture, this promise is, is given to, to individuals. It's given to Joshua when Moses dies. Moses, my servant, is dead, says God to Joshua. He is my servant, the one I loved, the one who looked at me the one who took my commandments down from the mountain, the one who led you through the sea and in the wilderness. Moses, my servant, is dead. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. At the end of Deuteronomy, this is said, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, it is repeated. When Nehemiah is seeking to build the temple, the same words are given. And here when the church is instituted and Jesus is to go up into the glory to make intercession for us by sitting at the right hand of the Father, always living for us so that we always have a high priest sat at the right hand of the Father. He says, lo, I am with you always. He is with us when there is no revival. He is with us in our bedroom. He is with us when we sleep. He is with us when we wake. He is with us when we are in the service of God. He is with us when we are walking to the shops and we're buying provisions. He is with us always. He is always with us. That's us. That's an encouragement. That's a blessing. We are never alone. And then not only the promise of God, but in the next verse, verse 21, we then have the people. You see, God's people will be willing in the day of his power. Uh, as your day is, so will your strength be. Why is it that some churches have lots of people and other churches have less people? Well, it's because of the ministry. The more people, the more can minister and go out. The, the less people means that you've got a smaller ministry, but you can still minister. Uh, there are hammers. You can get a, a small hammer to knock in little nails. You can get a, a sledgehammer for knocking big things. And then you can get other types of hammers. You can see I'm not practical, but I'm sure there are lots of types of hammers. Uh, it's the same here. God is a God who sends people. The right people will come at the right time. And here we are told, here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of the Lord. And every willing craftsman, 
craftsmen will be with you for all manner of work. For every kind of service, also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. God makes people willing in the day of his power. And these people have been made willing by God. God has chosen them. God has called them and they are willing. Verses uh, 6 of the next chapter. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands and of hundreds and the officers of the king's works offered willingly. They offered willingly. Why? Because God had moved them. And they, they do these things willingly. Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And the King David also rejoiced greatly. God builds his temple. God sends people. God uses people. He makes people willing in the day of his power. It's, it's God. So what is it when we build? Well, we, we need the plan of God. We need the promise of God. And we need the people of God. And God provides all these. But you see, Solomon needed to be told this. He needed encouragement because he was young and he was a bit uncertain how things would go because he was following a, a hard act. And so God, through David, spoke to him. But you see, we have a greater than Solomon, a greater than Solomon who has the plans, the promise and the people of God with him always. You see, there's, there's an election that every single person believes in. Every single person rejoices in this election. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So often when we are not sure of God's will and we're uncertain, we have to look to God and, and the fact that he has saved us. We have to look to his election, that he has saved us and he's keeping us. Here, here we are to look to Christ, his elect one. God has elected a saviour from before the foundations of the world, before you were born, before I was born, before any creature was on this earth. God had set aside his son to be the saviour, his elect one, his chosen his only begotten, the one that he would send into the world. That's God's secret plan. And he revealed it in the garden. When Adam and Eve fell, the plan came. And he said, the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent and he shall be bruised himself. The seed of the woman, one seed, one person. One person who would be injured. But not the seed of the man and the woman, the seed of the woman. 
And then we can see as we, we read through the scriptures, the opening up of the description, the, the lights, so to speak, are, are being turned. You know, uh, well, you don't know, I'm going to tell you. In our house, we've got these trendy lights. And you've got a little, little thing like that. It's about that big and it's got loads of buttons on it. I know you can switch the light on and you know you can switch it off. And, and then you press other things and the light does strange things. But the better light is the dimmer light, where you, you just touch the wall and the light comes on and then you turn it and the light goes down or goes up. Well, the scriptures are just like that. Right at the start, the lights are dim, really dim. And then God turns it up a little bit and says, I'm going to send a saviour. I'm going to send somebody into the world, a seed of the woman. And he is going to crush Satan, but he's going to be injured. And that's the light I'm giving you. No more. And then later on, he, he turns up the light. And he describes more of who this person is and why he's coming. And then he turns up the light. And he turns up the light until we get to the New Testament and Jesus comes in and the light is full. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The secret plan of God is gradually revealed through the scriptures to us. And that plan is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Upon us, a light has shined. So we have the secret plan of God coming into the revealed plan of God. How is a church built? A church is built on Jesus Christ. That's it. A church's foundation is Jesus Christ. How is a church to grow? By feeding and, and holding to Jesus Christ. How is a church to pray? A, pr a church is to pray through and because of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is a church to confess their sins? With a bowed head and with confidence because Jesus Christ calls sinners to repentance. The revealed plan of God is the way that we grow and we develop. And then we, we have the, the promise, the promise of God. You see the, the promise here, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he kept saying, the Father who is greater than I has sent me. The Father who is always with me. The Father who I speak to. And then when he prayed, he said, I'm praying audibly because, because of you. My Father always hears me. I know he does. But I'm saying this loudly so that you can hear. The Father was always with the Son. The father looked at the son when he was born and he sent angels. The angels of the Lord came and glory shone around. There was the son, the son of God born in that place. And then at his baptism, the father rends the heavens and speaks. This is my beloved son. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, when some of the glory of Christ is shown to those that are there. And the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, hear him. And then, and then on the mount, on the mount where he was crucified, the Father 
the Father who is always with the Son in love and in comfort and in encouragement, sending the Holy Spirit to bless him and to strengthen him so that he would do the works of God by the finger of God through the Spirit. There on the cross, the Father now looks on the Son no longer with love and compassion, but now he looks with anger. Anger because of sin. For he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the Son on the cross cries out Psalm 22, which was foretold. He knew it would happen. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew. He calls us to the scriptures. The God, the Son of God, and God the Father, no longer united in love and joy and fellowship, loving and ever delighting in themselves. Now the Father looks at the Son, for on him the iniquities of us all was laid, and God punished him. The anger of God's rod on the Son. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. It's the Son. He can promise he will never leave us nor forsake us. Why? Because he was forsaken by his Father on the cross. He went where we do not go. Why? Because he took our pains. He took our woes. He took our sin. He took our punishment. He went to hell for us. Hell in the presence of a holy and a just God facing the justice that is due to us for sin. He died for me. The promise of God is there. And that's the promise that we're to tell. That there was one who took our place. He took our place and he took our sins and he bore them away on that tree. Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient. Beyond telling is his worth. And then finally, the people of God. The people of God. When he was with his disciples, he, he looked at the flowers, he, he looked at the corn and he said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it shall remain fruitless. But if it falls in the ground and dies, it shall bring forth much fruit. So the Son of Man must suffer many things and be crucified. And on the third day, risen again. Because Jesus Christ has lived and died and risen again, there will be a people. And on the last day, Christ will stand and all the people will be with him, his people. And he will say to his father, here I am and the people you have given me. 
the Father has chosen a people from before the foundation of the world and they have been united to his Son. And in time they are drawn in by his Spirit and changed and reunited to Christ. They are born again, not by uh, physical or, or, or human activity or through ceremonies or actions, but they are born of God by the Spirit of God. God, our Father, has been our Saviour and sent Oh, right. Okay. All right. How do you get? Oh, there we are. There we are. There we are. Uh, so, uh, where was I? I won't tell you who he is. You'll have to look him up. All right? You have to look him up to find out who this person was. Okay? It's because I can't remember his name. But you can look him up. Well, Esther Ranson was on the show and, and she invited him to the show. And she, she told everyone this man's story. And then she said, can, can anyone uh, stand up who have something or, or who owe their life to this man? And the woman next to, her, to him stood up. And then the woman next to her stood up. And he looked and a tear came in his eye. And then she said, does anyone else here owe their life to this man? And the whole of the rows behind him, eight, nine, ten rows with, with people, they all stood up on the last day. Jesus Christ will stand there with his people. In that show, there were some people they couldn't get in contact with. Some people had died, so they couldn't be there. But on the last day, we will all be there with Christ because he lives, we shall live also. Here I am, he says, and the people you have given me. My Father, who is greater than all, holds them in his hand. I hold them in my hand also. I and the Father are one. How do we build God's temple? We need the plan of God. We need the promise of God. And we need the people of God. And all those are wrapped up in Jesus Christ, our Lord.